Hi, and welcome to the White Hill podcast series. My name is Roger. I'm one of the pastors here at White Hill, and we're glad that you've chosen to listen to one of the podcast messages today. Our prayer is that you would be challenged and inspired to take the next steps in your journey with God as you listen to this message. If you want to keep in touch with more things that are happening at White Hill, head to our website at whitehill.church and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Enjoy this message now. Colossians 3 verses 1 to 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Thanks, Isaac. Good evening. That sounded really excited to be here. It's warm, it's nice, you got your friends around you. It is a good evening, right? That's good. Um, I'm excited to be sharing with you today. I think we let Bronte off pretty lightly just reading four verses. Um, I promise the message won't just be like four minutes long because it's so short tonight. Um, so strap in. <laughs> It'll be a good one. No. Um, I wanted to start tonight just with this question um, of who am I? And it's a question that you may not have like asked yourself consciously recently. It may not have been a question that you would have asked at all, but I think the answer to that question of who am I is actually what informs our decisions and our behavior, our thoughts, our attitudes, even our sense of morality. Because what we do is always flowing from that place of who we are. The question, who am I? It's an important question, but I want to suggest tonight that there's another more important question to do with your identity, which is, who am I with? Who am I with? Um, as, some of you, as some of you may be aware, I'm a bit of a, a tragic golfer. I'm not very good, uh, but I do enjoy it. I'm slightly addicted. But the problem with having golf as a hobby for me is the cost. Like, it's not a cheap hobby. It's pretty expensive. So I've sort of found a way around this. I've, you know, found clubs on the side of the road and resold them and marketplace and all those sort of things that I'm sure you've heard about. But Another way I've tried to keep the cost down is by just playing the worst, scrappiest golf courses I can find, um, because they're usually pretty cheap. So at the moment, my go-to is Sandy Gallup. Does anybody know Sandy Gallup just down the road? Yeah, there's a few hands. I'm sorry if you're attached to it. I'm about to roast it. Um, I played there with um, some of you guys before here as well, and we affectionately call it the goat track, right? Because... Really, that's what it is. The fairways have no middle ground between just being dirt and rocks versus when the river sort of floods up and then it just turns into mud and slosh. It's, it's really never that tidy. So you can imagine that when I was an American, I was invited out by um, my wife's brother-in-law to play at pretty much a world-class golf course in Texas. I was pretty excited. It was well beyond my budget. I was not the one making uh, the booking. And this place was immaculate. It was set in an estate, um, a private estate. The houses were all multi-million dollar mansions all surrounding this golf course with the lake in the middle. Like it was golfer's heaven. The fairways were perfectly manicured. I had absolutely no right to be allowed on there to go and hack it up and make a mess of it. Not that I spent much time in the fairways, but um, 
I found one of the craziest things about this course that I haven't seen anywhere else is that even just to get into the estate where the golf course is, not even to the course itself, you arrive at these massive gates and a boom gate comes down and a security guard comes out to meet you. And as I was thinking about it, that's probably a good idea for Sandy Gallup, right? If we had a security guard there, maybe the course would be in better condition because I've seen some of those high school kids who walk through there and graffiti all sorts of explicit things across the greens that I won't go into. But the security guard comes out and he asks us, what are we doing? And of course, we're playing golf. But for him, that wasn't good enough. He took our identities, he scanned them into his system, but all he really cared about was who was the name on the booking? Like, is this round paid for? Are you eligible to be here? Who is that person? I had to say, I'm, I'm coming with my wife's brother-in-law. This is his name. And only at that point, they let me in. If I just sat outside, you know, trying to tell them about, you know, how good my golf game is, and every now and then I, you know, find a fairway or my short game comes right or whatever it is, he's not just going to be like, you know, righty, mate, go on in. Like, it's all good. It's fine. He needed to know who I was with. And the passage we're looking at today is uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians. We're in chapter 3 now, and if you were able to join us last week, we finished off the end of chapter 2. If you haven't listened to that, I encourage you to go back um, during the week and flick back to what Francois shared on the end of chapter 2. He um, showed us that Paul gave kind of like a negative um, encouragement, saying that there's, uh, there's deceptors, there's false philosophies, there's things that try and uh, deceive us away from our true identity in Christ. But today we're looking at the start of chapter 3, and it's more of a positive encouragement, and we're going to unpack some of the implications of that together. Because in these four verses, he repeats the phrase, with Christ, three times. So we see that as quite an important um, part of this passage. He's saying that if we are with Christ, firstly, we are raised with him, then we are hidden with him, and eventually we will appear with him in glory. So we're going to start just in that first one there, the very first verse, and looking at how Paul reckons we are raised with Christ. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And that opening line there, since then you have been raised with Christ, it parallels to verse 20. If you've got your Bibles there, you can look back to that, but It parallels it in the way that uh, previously he says, since then you have died with Christ. You've died with Christ. And if you're not familiar with the Christian faith, uh, maybe this is the first time you're hearing anything about Jesus, or uh, maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, but it still seems strange that our starting point, you know, to entice people to be a part of what we have is that you have to come and die, right? Am I the only one who finds that a bit strange? If you just look at that on a surface level, it's like that's our draw card. If if you're an organization and you're trying to, you know, advertise for a role and you said, oh, you know, we've got competitive salaries, we've got good friendly staff, you'll have to die, you might get a company car, and you're like, what? Like, let's go back here a second. What is this whole thing? We have to die? And I think to actually understand this whole idea of being raised with Christ, sometimes we throw that around a lot as Christians. We need to first understand the the depth and the, I guess, the truth of what it means to also die with Christ. So when the New Testament talks about uh, dying with Christ, it's actually addressing the relationship between our new self, 
the new creation, the new life that God has given us, versus the old self, the one that was apart from God before being made new with Jesus. This old self was something that we've all experienced at a time, and maybe some of us who aren't yet following Jesus continue to experience today. It's a life that is it's representative of a Christless human condition, in which each of us have been really transformed at the nature of who we are. And what we try and do is we find our own sense of fulfillment and satisfaction and pleasure by making ourselves the, the rulers and reigners of our life, by in a sense becoming our own little gods to take control of everything in our spheres. And uh, we also know from the end of verse so at the end of chapter two, that you know, the enemy actually has strategies to try and deceive and to give us false philosophies of culture and all those types of things. And this old self just willingly and unrepentantly gives into those deceptions and desires and participates in things that God would refer to as sin in his scripture. Things that are either action or lack of action, which offend a perfect and holy God. And I think we've been trained as well from a young age to think, you know, sin is kind of small and ineffectual. And as long as you're a good person on the whole, then like little things here and there don't really have any consequence. But, but Jesus comes and we see through scripture that this sin in our lives, even just the smallest offense against a righteous and holy God, it actually changes our entire nature. We go from one who is being physically and spiritually alive with God in relationship with him as our creator to one who is maybe physically alive and still walking and, you know, working and living on earth, but one who has also spiritually died. This spiritual death has come upon us as we've been separated from the ultimate source of life. So then in terms of definition, we can sort of see that old self as the spiritually dead person, the one who was enslaved to sin, who was giving over uh, to these false philosophies. And if we want to experience new and eternal life, that is what needs to die with Christ. That's what needs to die with Christ. Fortunately for us, death to that old self and then resurrection to new life is something that is made available to all of us, as many of us here may have already experienced. It's made available to us just in a moment because of what Christ did 2,000 years ago. Jesus, who is God, came to earth in the form of man. He lived this perfectly sinless life. He did what none of us have ever been able to achieve so that then he could be the one sufficient sacrifice to pay the penalty of sin for justice to be fulfilled. And, you know, with that state of spiritual death in mind, as, as Christ thought about us and, and reflected and was compelled by his love for us, he didn't just want to leave us in that place of spiritual death. He knew the eternal consequences of that. And I think even more so, he just desires to be with us and be restored back to the people that he had created and loved so dearly. So Jesus then, in this compulsion of love, goes to the cross willingly. He's crucified on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. He's, he's buried and dead. And if we are with Christ, then as Paul says, we also die with him in this same type of death, right? That old self, that before Christ sort of nature, the one that uh, was living as rulers and reigners of our own life, that is what is now crucified and dead and buried with Christ. But the good news is that it wasn't just that we share in his death, but 
Jesus rises again and we actually get to share in his resurrection as well. Not by anything that we've done, which is the incredible grace and mercy of God. There's nothing that you know, we could do to ever earn the right to share in his resurrection, but he just willingly and freely gives us that. And if we have faith in him, in that same moment that we die to the old self, then Jesus raises us up to eternal life and gives us this new nature. This new nature that is no longer enslaved to sin, that is no longer held captive by spiritual death. A new nature that actually desires at its core to do what is right and good in the sight of God. And a new nature that then experiences the blessings in this life and in the life to come of relationship with God. You still with me? Death to the old self, raised to new life. And then Paul's going to press on. But before we do, I don't know about you, I, I love equipment. Anybody else love new things, new toys and equipment? Yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. Um, for me, it can be technology, sports equipment. I think Apple does just a ridiculously good job of making the whole unboxing experience like super satisfying with like the films and the, it's just really nice. Um, I have always from a young age, and I remember back to when I was playing cricket, one of my favorite things was to take out a brand new pair of wicket-keeping gloves, because there was this smell. It was like a combination of rubber and leather that, that came together to form this heavenly scent that was truly from God, and it would, it would waft out of the bag, and I'd be like, oh, this, this is good. This is good stuff. And also, when you open something new, it also brings a new sense of potential and hope, like, I would wear these things into the ground. By the end of their lives, they'd have no grip left on them. They'd be torn. They'd be ripped up. They'd be dirty. And worst of all, that rubber smell had been replaced with, like, sweaty boy smell, which I'm sure many of you know and love. And no longer when you pull them out of the bag, they smell nice. It's like, get your mask on, get out of there. This is going to be bad. So for me to have something new like that, it, it restores. It gives you a fresh sense of hope and a vision and of um, potential. And in a much more significant way, of course, being raised with Christ from the old self, it's, it's not just a, you know, a formality that just happens and it's like tick the box, I've entered into heaven, but it brings with it a whole new sense of potential and hope. And it has incredible implications. And I'm sure many of you here today or online, you can resonate with some of those feelings where maybe it's the feeling of emptiness that comes from, you know, trying something that, you know, you knew was bad or wrong or deceitful or just gross and you thought it was going to benefit you or make you feel better about yourself or just make you experience you know joy or pleasure but then it doesn't and it leaves you with that sort of combination of emptiness and guilt in the same moment many of you can probably resonate with that constant sense of exhaustion right trying to frantically prove your value or your worth to others working harder you know whatever it has to be pleasing people just to show, you know, I'm someone who's deserving of attention and love. And I'm sure many of you can also resonate with that sense of just purposelessness. Like, should we be doing something more? Is, is this it? Do we work and live and just get worn out like an old used pair of gloves and chucked out? Or is there something more? And the good news is that in this new hope, in this resurrection with Christ, we're given new potential and a new way of living that is powered by the source of life, being raised with Christ. And I just want to encourage you, if your state of being is not one that it's you know, full of joy and hope and purpose and faith 
in a God that can actually save you and secure you for eternity, in perfect love that you, know, you don't have to earn or do anything. If that is your current state of being, I just encourage you, don't be content with that. But to think about that tonight and go, actually, maybe that old self needs to die. Maybe it's time to put that to death and to step into new life, a new potential, a new hope by being raised with Christ. He goes on to say from verse 2 to 3 as well, um, that we'll be hidden with Christ. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So if you've placed your faith in Him, you've been raised with Him, that's sort of the prerequisite here, then He says, you know, you need to live from that new nature. You've changed, you've fundamentally changed. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5 says, you're a whole entirely new creation. So then you need to start living from that new identity. The old has gone, this new has come, and you're now physically, spiritually, emotionally alive in union with God. In other words, and this sounds really brutal, but don't go back and play with your dead body, right? Like I had pets, I had two dogs growing up, and they loved hunting these massive water dragons. They'd bring in this disgusting dead body into the house and play with it. It was gross. And like a couple of times I'd be walking, I walked into the laundry once and I stood on the belly of one of these massive water dragons. It's disgusting. And I think when we, when we go back to you know, living and acting and thinking in the ways that we did before Christ, it's the same thing. It might feel good in that moment for some reason, but it's gross and it's not who we truly are. It's like going and finding our dead body in the yard and dragging it inside. But Christ has given us so much more and so much better. He's given us new, a whole new life. You know, as I said before, we live from who we are. What we do flows from who we are. And if our identity is now unified in Christ, if it's unified with the one who sits at the right hand of God in heaven, then we need to look there. We need to look up to heaven to see how his perfect kingdom functions and is the values, the visions, the principles of all that God has for us in his perfect eternal kingdom, and then try and live that kingdom down in our life. Not look to culture and see what we can sort of include and live up to God. Kingdom down, not culture up. And I find it really interesting here as well that Paul says your new life is hidden with Christ. For me, that, w that little verse there was a bit of an interpretive nightmare for a while as I was preparing, like, what does that mean? That your life is hidden with Christ. Seems like he's trying to play hide and seek with us or something. It doesn't make sense straight away, but I think as we take a, a wider look at all of Paul's uh, writings and this letter as a whole, we see that, I think what he's saying is that the full reality of that change from death to life has not become quite visible yet. It's temporarily hidden while we live here on earth for our you know, 80, 100 odd years. Temporarily hidden. There's this cringe uh, show that I've seen a few episodes of called Undercover Boss. Has anyone ever seen that? Yes, some nods. Um, but it's pretty self-explanatory. There's a boss, it's a big CEO type, and he puts on this terrible fake beard and a hat and some, a wig or whatever he needs to do, and he goes into the lower sort of uh, operational level of his organization. And almost every time that I'd seen the show, he would go in and find it, them cutting corners, being rude to clients, doing things that are immoral or gross or sometimes even illegal. And he'd put up with it for a certain time to 
pretending to be somebody else. And then eventually he just like whips off the beard and goes, no, I actually can't take this anymore. Something needs to change here. And I think in a similar way, when we are raised with Christ, we belong to him in heaven. Our, our address has changed. Our citizenship is now, you know, upper management. It's, it's in the kingdom of heaven. It's a whole nother level to what we've experienced here on earth. Yet we still have to live and work and exist in the common human experience. And that's where the challenge becomes difficult to actually live out of that true identity. And when he talks about this idea of hiddenness, obviously, when you look at somebody, you can't tell whether they are saved or not. Some of you might think you can, like some of you probably think it's like a haircut-based selection, right? If it's neat, short back and sides, then yep, tick, you're off to heaven. Mullet, see you later. Like That's not going to cut it. But obviously, that is not true. Our, the, the spiritual reality of our newness of life is hidden temporarily. And he's saying that even though it is, we still need to live from that heavenly identity. That change has taken place. We're completely new in nature and in character and in eternal destination. And we need to be looking up, setting our eyes on things that are above and trying to live out those principles and that identity here on earth. I think what makes this really hard is time. That undercover boss, he only has to put up with it for you know, a few hours as the producer uh, makes him. But for us, it's not just a few hours after that moment of conversion. It's decades and decades and decades of struggling and striving and getting tired and giving in to temptation. Paul writes in another place in Romans 7, 15, he says, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. He needs to put some of his uh, scriptures through Grammarly, I feel like, but um, <laughs> he says, what I want to do, if you're still with me, I do not do. So that the new desires that God's given him from his heavenly identity, those are the things that he doesn't do. He constantly finds himself not doing these things. And then the things that he hates, now that he has this new identity and he, he looks down and sees what's all that's wrong with culture and all the evil and the corruptness, he sees that and somehow he finds himself engaged with it and doing it. And he's meant to be the super apostle, right? So he struggles and fails at this. And that means as well for us, we know it's not going to be easy. So it's not just like an understanding, okay, we can move on. This is a, a, a constant reminder. And you may be aware of this, you may have already heard something like this before, but we need to be constantly reminded of that heavenly identity, the citizenship in heaven, so that we can continue to set our eyes there and then live that down on earth. We need to be alert and attentive. We need to be strong in faith and obviously then reliant on the power of the Spirit, God with us, helping us to achieve this in this life. So where we're up to already at the end of verse three there, we're asking ourselves, who am I with? Because if we're with Christ, the old self has died, the, the new self has been raised to life, our very nature has changed, but it hasn't yet changed on the outside. We're temporarily hidden, trying to, to live out as foreigners in this land. But praise be to God that there is an end to that battle and that striving. He, he tells us in verse four now that, eventually we will appear with Christ in glory. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
And for some of you, you may not be old enough yet to experience this. For some reason, this is happening to me at the ripe age of 24. But when I try and roll over in bed, like after a big day, it feels like a tractor has run over my body. Does anybody else have that? <laughs> yeah? Maybe I should get it checked. But I feel like you're, sometimes after a big day, I'm just so sore and exhausted. I'm sure you've felt that as well. What about that time, you know, when you're cooking and you just drop something off the counter and either smashes or lands on your toe, it feels like the end of your toe is about to blow off. It's just the worst thing. And for so many of you here as well, you know, if you're here in this room today, you are a survivor because we have had a couple of awful weeks with COVID and the flu and all these other viruses. Um, so I'm glad you're here. Um, if you're online, I hope that you're well. Um, but as so many of you have experienced in recent days, when you get, you know, the flu or COVID or whatever it is, like for me, I don't know, it felt like either my eyes were going to fall out or I was going to cough up a lung, but I didn't know what was going to happen first. It just seems like there's no relief. It's just constant pain or exhaustion or tiredness or fatigue, and our bodies are prone to sickness and injury. But I wonder if you know that if you're with Christ, if you're found to be with Christ, that one day you will appear in a glorified, resurrected body that has no pain, no sickness, no disease, no injury. I'm sure many of you are journeying through that right now. And I've close friends and seeing them suffer is awful. It's hard to watch and we pray and pray for healing, but we can be assured that if we are with Christ, then there will be an end to that. There will be a day where there is perfect healing in a resurrected body. We are told that Jesus came once to live and die and be raised again, but also that there will come a day where he will return. And in that moment, his full and unrestricted glory will be known to everyone. We don't know when this is, but we know that if we are with him, then on that day, our new nature will no longer be temporarily hidden, but it also will come into its full unveiled glory. That spiritual reality moving from just spirit but into the physical. And the word here where uh, Paul writes that you will appear with him in glory, it's, it's kind of hard to uh, understand in terms of what is God's glory. We don't really have a bucket or a category big enough for that. I don't think our brains could ever understand that. Um, it's sort of like I don't know, try and imagine explaining physics to an ant. Like that's sort of us trying to understand God's glory. But what we do know through Scripture is that it, it's somehow related with His holiness. There's a passage in uh, Isaiah where one of the kings is having a vision of God, and it says, The angels cried out around Him, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Not holy, 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 the, old, the whole earth is filled of His holiness, but that it's now filled of His glory. So it seems then it, like God's glory it's sort of his manifest holiness or presence. It's, it's, the physical, uh, it's the physical demonstration or the public presence of his holiness. Revelation 21, 23 as well says that uh, as a description of this kingdom vision that John's having, it says, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And this is the glory. This is the incredible glory that we get to share in Christ with. And appearing with Christ in this glory, it can act as our, our present hope, but also our motivation to just persevere with the, the struggles that we go through, 
even just the fight, the everyday fight against sin, trying to live out that new nature, appearing with Christ in glory. It's our present hope and our motivation to persevere. There's a lot in this text. Uh, I hope it's encouraged you to live from that new identity, but I want to just land with one really simple point of application, which is baptism. Right? As I read through this passage uh, this week, I just see so many clear parallels, and God kept bringing to mind this idea of baptism, baptism, because what baptism is, is a physical demonstration of all of this. Right? We know that that inward change has occurred in us if we have faith in Christ, but also Jesus then comes and says, you know, there's actually a way that you can physically demonstrate this, and I'm going to command all my followers to do so. He says, in baptism... Just as you die with Christ, you go down into the water. So one of us here would put you down, immerse you. That word baptism, baptizo in the Greek just means to immerse. So you're just getting immersed in water. You're being buried in your old self. is being buried and killed and crucified with Christ. And then as Christ raised from the grave, so too we pull you out of that water, hopefully. And then in that moment, you're, you're symbolizing, you're demonstrating that Christ has raised you into new and eternal life. It's symbolic, but it's also Christ's instruction to us. He spoke about it so often during his ministry. It's a clear commandment, and I think it's a a beautiful outward demonstration to say, you know what, I am with Christ, and I'm going to make that commitment in front of of others because I'm not ashamed of that, but also because I want to follow in Jesus' footsteps who he himself was also baptized. It's that physical demonstration of the inward reality showing who you are with. That's the big question for today. So if you haven't been baptized and you are already a follower of Jesus, can I encourage you, don't let anything hold you back from taking that next step. I know there's sort of feelings of uncertainty or sometimes embarrassment. What's it going to be like? How many people are going to look at me? Will I do this? All those sort of things. Let me just encourage you, put that aside. And just know that if you're with Christ, that he, he instructs you for your good to be baptized. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus, then maybe today is that day that you finally receive the gift of new life. Maybe your current existence is just not cutting it. It's not providing all the things that you wished it would provide you or bringing a sense of fulfillment like you hoped it would. And maybe today it's time to say, you know what, I'm going to crucify that old self and and ask that in faith Jesus would raise me to new life. That's the most important thing for you today. And so important, I actually want to pray uh, with you now. If you want to make that decision, I encourage you just to pray this with me, just as a reflection of that attitude of your heart that has changed towards God. So I'm just going to pray. Jesus, I know that I've sinned against you. I know that I've fallen short of a right and just and glorious God. But I thank you, Jesus, that you've made a way for me, that that you died in my place and rose again into new life. And now I'm confessing my faith in you, that you may grant to me new and eternal life. And God, would you help me by your spirit to live out that new identity? here as a foreigner on earth for a period until I appear with you in glory. Amen. If you've prayed that with me, 
I'm super excited for you and would love to connect and chat with you um, about that decision. But um, in terms of taking that next step for everybody here today, I just want to encourage you once more to come forward and to be baptized. There's uh, three ways you can take that step. Uh, You can come and speak to me after the service if you want to know more or ask any questions. I'd love to help you in that journey and give you some more information about it. You can also head to our prayer corner um, after the service tonight. We're going to have some leaders there and some pastors there to just encourage you um, and to, yeah, again, answer any questions and give you some more information and to register that interest to be baptized. And then, of course, as you've seen here on the screen, um, you can either scan that. If you want it to be completely, you know, anonymous and just as that first small step of faith, maybe just scan that, fill out the form, let us know you're interested and, and maybe we can connect with you in that way and encourage you towards baptism. There's going to come a day where Christ's full unveiled glory comes to us. We see him in a complete unrestricted fullness of beauty. And on that day, it'll either begin an eternity with him in his presence full of joy and a peace and of righteousness, or it'll begin an eternity without him in separation. So the question is, who are you with? Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that uh, it is true and that it is good for us to understand these truths of uh, yeah, this kingdom, this kingdom that you have uh, set for us, God, as an inheritance of our faith. And we just know that living out in this world can sometimes be a struggle. It can be hard to be reminded of that true identity. And sometimes we create these false identities and these false selves where we just engage with what everybody else is engaged with. But in this moment, God, I ask that your spirit would just be so known to us and so present with us that you would empower us to live out that true nature, to not give in, but to look and set our eyes on things that are above. And I just pray as well, God, for anyone who still needs to take that step of baptism, to demonstrate that change of heart that they have towards you, God. I just pray that you would fill them with confidence and boldness to come forward tonight and to make that next step of faith. So Jesus, we thank you. We love you for making uh, this way for us and continue to remind us of that this week as we go. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you live locally here in the Ipswich region, we would love to invite you to come and join us in person uh, here at one of our Sunday gatherings at Whitehill. For more information on our services or our ministries, head on over to our website at whitehill.church. If you're interested also in taking next steps in your relationship with Jesus, please also at our website, hit the connect button And let us know where you're at. We would love to catch up with you either over a coffee or on a phone call to chat with you about where you're at. We hope you've enjoyed watching this message and we pray that God would continue to bless you as you seek to seek Him in your daily life. God bless.